to throw, looking, deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Wednesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got a busy one. All of our focus is on Sunday's game in Orchard Park. We'll preview the game, get to the matchups, the schemes, the keys, plus... We'll hear from head coach Brian Flores on the Dolphins' preparation, the challenges the Bills present, and trying to keep Josh Allen inside the pocket. Plus, we'll hear from Tua Tungavailoa. Coach Flores discusses his NFL best or lowest interception rate, and we'll hear from additional players from their Wednesday media availability. All of that and more on this Wednesday, December the 30th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Hey Dolphins fans, the new year starts now at AutoNation. Let's skip the rest of 2020 and get to big New Year savings on your favorite AutoNation Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, Hondas, and a whole lot more. Shop safely at the AutoNation store near you or AutoNation.com and save now. We're going to roll into this Dolphins Bills preview here, which you can find also up on MiamiDolphins.com with the written element, taking a look at some of the schemes and the matchups in this game that are very critical to the result on Sunday. Let's go ahead and start here, though, with some questions for Coach Flores and for Sean McDermott over in Buffalo about how the Bills will approach this Week 17 game against the Miami Dolphins first. Sean McDermott was asked about his approach this week, and he had two responses that I think are, I guess, noteworthy here to mention on the podcast. He first said that yes and no in regards to asking if the Steelers' announcement that they'll rest their starters in their game has any impact on what the Bills will do. So a little bit of ambiguity there, a little bit of discreet nature from Sean McDermott, just like his overriding answer regarding that question. He said they're going to keep their plans internal for Sunday as far as how players are playing since he hasn't spoken to the players himself yet. So that's where the Bills thinking is at currently. How about where head coach Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins mindset is at for where week 17 will go as far as how Buffalo decides to approach this game? Yeah, I mean, I expect all everyone to play. Sean's a competitor. Brian Dayball's a competitor. Josh Allen's a competitor. Diggs, Poyer, Hyde. I mean, I expect them all to play. That's that's how not, that's how we're preparing. No surprise there. Dolphins always going to prepare for every possible avenue, every possible contingency they could see in a possible game, whether it's the opposition or for themselves. They've talked all year about how they prepare for all 53 players on the roster, regardless of the opposition. So no surprise there from Coach Flores. Let's go ahead next here from Coach. About the tough challenges a head coach at any level really faces with regards to difficult decisions because throughout the course of a season, obviously the head coach kind of overseeing the entire operation will obviously run into some decisions that maybe are difficult to make in the moment, but for head coach Brian Flores, his motivation for those decisions is very clear and apparent. Here's coach. Look, I have a lot of peace with the decisions that um, I and we make because it's sincerely, genuinely, and authentically based on you know, winning football games and the people in this organization, um, our fans, that's, that's, I mean, I have a lot of peace with the decision because of that. I mean, there's people here who, who work hard and from, you know, the grounds crew to equipment, to the medical staff, to 
people work in the cafeteria to Hubert, who, you know, is here every day. It's important to them. So it's important to me that we try to do everything we can to win football games. And in order for the Dolphins to win a football game on Sunday, one of the keys Coach Flores says will be keeping Josh Allen in the pocket. Let's go ahead and first hear from Coach Flores on the challenges this Bills offense, Josh Allen, Brian Dayball, Bills offensive coordinator, present to this Dolphins defense on Sunday. Then we'll go ahead and roll into the game preview from there. And then we'll circle back to the end of the podcast on a comment Coach Flores made about Tua's low interception rate as we hear from Tua later on this podcast. But first, here's Coach on the Buffalo quarterback. We want to keep him in the pocket. If he gets out, we got to cover him a little bit longer. Got to try to chase him down. Look, this guy's you know one of the top players in the league, and I think he's really uh, he's really made a, a lot of improvement. I think uh, Sean and Brian Davo have done a great job with with him, and um, this guy's he's, he's he's tough to deal with. Um, a very you know very very good good player. I mean. I mean, I know Dayball well. You know, I can see a lot of, it's almost like Dayball playing football from a mind standpoint. So he's done a good job. That comment there kind of reminds me back to 2011 when Brian Dayball was the offensive coordinator here. And I'll never forget that Monday night season opener against the Patriots that year when the Dolphins went down the field on the opening drive and scored a touchdown and the announcers could not stop talking about the left lane offense, the passing offense of Brian Dayball as they kind of played up-tempo and went aggressive. And you've seen that with the Buffalo Bills this year and it really definitely marries up well to how Josh Allen plays. You heard Coach talk a little bit there about trying to find ways to keep Josh Allen inside the pocket because he's so dangerous once he can break that initial contain because he has that arm strength to really fight through the awkward platforms and awkward a- arm angles he might see when he does escape the pocket, whether it's to the left or to the right. We saw that touchdown pass in the Monday night game where he was fading away to the left and just threw an absolute strike to the back of the end zone from like the 15-yard line. So like I saw a 25-yard throw falling away to his left, right-handed. I mean, just an absolute laser. The guy's arm is unreal, unmatched in the National Football League. And you heard Coach talk about the challenges of keeping him in the pocket. And when you look at how to defend today's modern quarterback, these mobile quarterbacks that can make so many plays off script, sure, the ones that can play within the structure, and Josh Allen certainly can, and guys like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, these guys that are having these MVP-level seasons, you can certainly see them play within the structure. But where they're most dangerous, where they most can strike you downfield, is when they break that initial rush and break that contain and get outside and force the defensive backs to cover for an extra three or four seconds because... Frankly, it's impossible to cover NFL receivers for beyond five seconds. It just doesn't happen. And that's why you get so many of these big plays down the football field once the quarterback breaks contain if they can manage to get to a spot where they can deliver the ball down the field to those guys who break off their routes and it just becomes sandlot football from there. Maybe that's a little bit of what Coach is talking about with Brian Dayball with his mind kind of working in the way Josh Allen plays because, man, he makes these highlight level real throws every single week, it seems now. And that's kind of who he was back in Wyoming, the big play ability had him being drafted in the top 10 by this Buffalo team and now you've seen it kind of come together as he has grown and matured and developed into this player that has been just an absolute force this season now with regards to keeping him in the pocket how do you accomplish that how do you have this rush scheme that hems him in and finds a way to make him even if he wants to get off that top spot of his drop to throw still within the confined areas of the pocket well 
That's part of where this vision for this defense comes into play. Guys like Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson, if he can get back for this game on Sunday. These big physical brute force guys that can rush directly through a player to the quarterback. As we know, one of the worst places on the football field to be is two yards behind the quarterback, especially today with the athletic quarterbacks we see in the National Football League. So you want to rush them and force them to step up and through the pocket. Basically view it as like a running system type of thing where you have A gap, B gap, C gap. If you can get the quarterback to escape through the B gap, which is between the defensive end and the defensive tackle that way, opposed to getting around the outside, out the edge, where he breaks the outside contain off the outside of the defensive end, that's when you get these problems because then they can attack the line of scrimmage and really work towards the line and attack both with the run and with the pass, whereas if they have to slip through that B gap, so to speak, they have to attack horizontally and aren't as big as a threat to run, and also they have to make a much more challenging throw going that direction as well. So... There are certainly different ways to accomplish that. Obviously, Coach Flores and Coach Josh Boyer and this defensive staff will be working on the ways they can find to get that done. But one of the ways you also can maybe have some success in terms of once you force him off that spot and upwards in the pocket before he escapes right or left is to rush those spots with linebackers like a Kyle Van Noy, for instance, like a Jerome Baker, guys that have had success blitzing that way. It's going to be a tough task no matter what. You're going to have to marriage up the coverage with the pass rush and find success that way against this team if you want to find victory. Let's go ahead and hear one more note from Coach on the Buffalo Bills before we jump right in to the game preview, which of course is up written on MiamiDolphins.com as well. Here's Coach on the Buffalo Bills. Something of a general synopsis plus what the Dolphins have to do to go up there and get a victory on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo's a good team. They are. You know, they play well offensively, defensively in the kick game. They're well coached. They're tough. They're physical. They got good players. So we got a great challenge ahead of us. And we just got to prepare ourselves the best way we can. Go up to New York and, you know, play our best game of the season. We'll try to. And that's what it's going to take against a team like this. I mean, you, I think everyone's seen them. They got great players. They're well coached. They're tough. Play good situationally. They play aggressive. They got fakes in the kicking game. They got good returners. Just got to play well. We'll try to play well, which, you know, starts with our preparation this week, today. And um, hopefully if we, if we can uh, you know, build on that on a daily basis, you know, we'll give ourselves a chance. So there it is from Coach. Again, Dolphins up in Buffalo on Sunday, January the 3rd. Season extends this year into January before the postseason. For a 1 o'clock kickoff, Bills Stadium. The temperature and, and weather reports kind of back and forth a little bit, as I'm told it tends to be up in the state of New York, but right around 34, 35 degrees. Some snow showers and rain off and on. Nine mile per hour winds expected out there at Buffalo, or Bill Stadium rather. So maybe not the most pleasant day, but I suppose it could be much worse. We have seen much colder and much snowier games up there in Buffalo. And as I'd like to do on the game previews up on MiamiDolphins.com is take a look at kind of where these two teams are in terms of their progress or maybe how they mirror each other or how they're different from one another. And I look at these Dolphins and Bills teams and I see a lot of similarities as far as how these teams want to be ran. You heard coach talk a lot about Sean McDermott and the the way he runs his football team and Brian Dayball. I think it's interesting to compare the two because Brian Flores and Sean McDermott were hired two years apart. McDermott in 2017, Flores in 2019. They both were aligned with general managers Chris Greer and Brandon Bean 
in those seasons, and they both took these measured, holistic approaches upon accepting their respective positions with either club. And you saw, you know, we saw trades last year for the Dolphins that maybe weren't greeted with the most receptive mindset from a national media standpoint. And we saw the same thing happen with Buffalo back in 2017 regarding trading Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby and moving guys off that football team that had produced for them in the past because McDermott and Bean had this vision in mind for how they wanted to build their football team. And they wanted to go out and acquire both the cap space and the draft capital to make that happen, to get the right people to establish a culture that way. Doesn't that sound kind of familiar with Brian Flores and Chris Greer getting the right people, getting smart, tough, disciplined football players, establish a vision that was based on that culture and the right people in your program? Both clubs kind of recognize the need to kind of take a step back and and view it from a bird's eye perspective to find out which moves were necessary to arrive at this current position both teams find themselves in. And for the Buffalo Bills, year number four, a 25-year AFC East Uh, championship drought ended this year for them. A remarkable accomplishment for the Buffalo Bills. They've also been to the playoffs three out of the four years there with McDermott and Bean at the helm. And this is a team that was, hadn't been to the playoffs since 1999 before that 2017 appearance. So three out of four years ending a playoff drought in an emphatic way. Now for the Dolphins, of course, they are two years earlier in their progress in their Brian Flores and Chris Greer regime than Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are, but they're just one win away from an 11-win season and a first ticket to the postseason in year number two here. We could be on the precipice here for the reignition, hopefully, of a legendary Dolphins-Bills rivalry that really began back in the 1990s with those great Marino and Kelly clashes and Marv Levy and Don Shula. I'm, I would love to see that. Nothing more than the Dolphins-Bills rivalry getting heated back up. I would love to see that here in the AFC East. But first, this critical game Sunday in what should be a frigid Orchard Park on uh, up in Buffalo. Some matchup highlights to look at here. I want to talk about how the Dolphins need to be able to communicate up front on the offensive line. Not that that's a new thing this week or compared to any other week across the National Football League and in the landscape of things, but talking about how this Bills pass rush is multiple and it comes in waves and it has production throughout the unit, kind of like Miami's in that way. They have six players who have at least three sacks this season and eight pass rushers who have at least six quarterback hits this season. And in the absence of pressure from the opposing rush, Tua Tungavailoa has 10 touchdown passes without an interception this year. And per pro football focus, he's the only quarterback without a pick from a clean pocket this season. He's also effective against extra rushers with a passer rating of 99.4 against the Blitz. Now, Miami starts two rookies on the offensive line and the growth has been measurable via their production. Over the last two games, Dolphins quarterbacks have been under pressure just 21 of 72 dropbacks in those two victories uh, via PFF there. Buffalo's leader in quarterback hits his defensive end, Jerry Hughes. He has 11 this year, but a pair of linebackers, again, kind of like Miami with Van Noy getting those pressures on quarterbacks and Van Ginkle and guys that get pressure from that stand-up position. Buffalo's two linebackers, Matt Milano and A.J. Klein, are tied for second on the team with nine quarterback hits apiece. So it's a very skilled, very multiple pass rush here from the Buffalo Bills and identifying where that blitz comes from. This is the eighth most frequent blitzing team in the NFL, 
passing off the games and the stunts and the twists and the delayed blitzes, the multiple looks, getting the football into the hands of the playmakers early should help Miami sustain drives and keep the Buffalo offense off the field. Two very important elements of this game to find victory. And talking about the Dolphins allowing limited pressures over the last couple of weeks, we talked about this on Tuesday's top news column, how the running game helps balance and create more of a complementary football style. Dolphins have ran the ball for 380 yards last two weeks, and you have that that season-low two-game pressures allowed on your quarterback. So those two things go hand-in-hand, find that balance on offense. Matchup number two, strength on strength, man. Receivers on defensive backs. Opposing quarterbacks have a cumulative passer rating of 85.3 against Miami this season. That's fourth lowest in the NFL. We are just 0.1 points behind Washington at 85.2. That's neither here nor there. Josh Allen's 106.4 passer rating is fifth best in the NFL this season. And in the week two game against Miami, cornerback Byron Jones exited that game with that growing injury after the first series. He, of course, forced an incompletion on third down to get the Dolphins defense off the field in that game, but would not return to that game. He also would miss the next two games. And over that course of those three games, Dolphins allowed 25 points per game. In the 12 games they've had Byron Jones on the field, 17.3 points per game allowed. So he makes a big, big impact on this defense. And something we've covered here on the podcast at length, talking about Brian Baldinger mentioning the vision of this Dolphins team to play physical good man coverage and, and good mixed coverage out on the outside with jo- uh, with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard kind of being the vision of this defense to free up all those games and pressures and blitzes up front for Miami. So he's a very key point. He's back in the fold here. Miami's four most frequently targeted defenders, Xavier Howard, Nick Needham, Eric Rowe, and the aforementioned Byron Jones, allow a a collective completion percentage of 61.8. Now, the Bills' top four wide receivers and targets, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Gabe Davis, they catch 71.4% of their targets. That's best in the National Football League among the top four receivers for a given team. So identifying which matchups are most attractive is one of the many challenges Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer faces this week. He discussed that approach on the Tuesday podcast, talking about how a combination of all things, how you sometimes have an idea for what you might like going into the week, then sometimes can change as you get more information, more film, thinking, quote, this might be a little bit better. But ultimately, he says it comes down to putting the guys in the best position to succeed and based upon what they've done and based upon what the opponent does. So can't wait to watch that strength on strength matchup. And our third matchup in this game, going for the turkey, man. And bowling, you get three strikes in a row, you get yourself a turkey. And I I haven't been bowling in years. And when I do go, I'm absolutely terrible trying to get just like a 150 at best if I can. But I always loved as a kid getting the turkey up on the screen. If you could find a way to get three strikes, which I never did because I was terrible. But you can see what I'm talking about here. For the Dolphins, another stout showing in the ground game would make it three straight. I mentioned 380 rushing yards over the last two weeks at 5.7 yards per clip. That is big time for your running game. And it's cliche, but it's also true. The importance of running the football this time of year is magnified. The Dolphins welcome Miles Gaskin back into the fold in a big way Saturday in Las Vegas. The 169 yards from scrimmage were the most by a Miami Dolphin this year. And that, of course, followed up a performance by fellow running back and fellow Gaskin College teammate there at the University of Washington, Savon Ahmed, when he went for 122 yards on the ground back in Week 15. Speaking of Ahmed and Miles Gaskin, keep it locked on the Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We are going to feature both those guys as well as hear from the running backs coach at the University of Washington, Keith Bonifa. That's a good podcast. You won't want to miss that one. But Chan Gilly talked about this on his Tuesday press conference about how they're kind of going with a hot hand. That's how they've done, been doing it this year. 
Miles uh, did not start the game on Saturday because of Savon's good performance the previous week, but then Miles started getting the football, getting some creases, making some plays, got the hot hand, so they went in that direction. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on as far as how this backfield rotation is juggled. But regardless of who totes the rock, a strong running game jives very well with Miami's stingy defense, top-ranked scoring, top third-down defense, number or tied for number one in takeaways this season. That kind of helps create that level of desired balance on offense. If the game situation calls for it, the Dolphins' commitment to the ground game could pay off as Buffalo allows 4.7 yards per carry this season. That's 27th in the National Football League. So three matchups, run the football, communicate up front and get that the quarterback protected and the strength on strength with receivers for Buffalo against the defensive backs of the Miami Dolphins and really just the passing game of the Bills against the pass defense of the Miami Dolphins. Some Bills schema here. They are sixth in scoring and fourth in total offense. They score 29.7 points per game and nearly 400 yards per game. That's 392.5 this season. Their running game ranks 19th and they are second in passing at 282.9 yards per game. Only two teams in the NFL have ran more than 100 offensive snaps from 10 personnel. That's one running back, no tight ends, four wide receivers. The Cardinals lead the way with 220 snaps from that grouping, while the Bills are second at 148. They've also ran 705 plays from 11 personnel, the most ran personnel package in the NFL, one running back, one tight end, three receivers. It's the fifth most snaps in the league from that grouping, which provides an intriguing matchup for a Dolphins deep secondary. Buffalo rarely utilizes two backs or three tight ends or heavy personnel, which is an extra offensive lineman. Those groupings combined account for less than 40 snaps collectively. So you know what you're going to get as far as spreading it out and throwing the football all over the lot. On defense, Buffalo's 35.1% blitz rate is the 8th highest in the NFL. Their 22.1% pressure rate is 23rd in the NFL. Their defense is tied for 14th in scoring. Their 10th in total defense. They are 20th in rushing defense and uh, 8th, rather, in passing defense. Now, Miami can finish anywhere between 5th and 8th in the AFC standings, depending on how the results of Sunday's action plays out. You know by now a Dolphins win or a loss by the Browns, a loss by the Ravens, or a loss by the Colts clinches a Dolphins playoff berth for the first time since 2016. And boy, I am excited about this game. One more game left to go in the regular season. All the marbles on the table. I cannot wait to see how this team shows up, how they perform, and where we wind up when all the chips come down at the end of Sunday's action. Let's go ahead and pick it back up here on Brian Flores' Wednesday morning media availability, who was asked about Tua Tungavailoa's NFL low, leading the most, the NFL low interception rate among quarterbacks belongs to Tua Tungavailoa. Coach was asked about that and how important that is in the evaluation of his rookie quarterback. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a good place to start, you know, at the quarterback position. I think he's done a good job from that standpoint. Obviously, there's you know a lot of other factors, like at every every position. That's just that's one of them, um, you know, which we evaluate. And I think he's done a good job in a lot of areas. You know, I think it's like every position. There's 15, 18, 20 different things that you're looking for um, at every position. Uh, but obviously the turnovers are, are a big, big one. Um, and he's done, a, he's done a good job from that standpoint. Definitely a very good job with the two interceptions this season from Tonga Vailoa. Once again, the lowest interception rate among quarterbacks in the NFL this season. And you look at the way Tua has performed this rookie season. And I, you know, I know we live in a society of, of takes and, and instant gratification, microwave society, as it was called, to find out whether or not you've got something or whether or not you don't have something and you have to go replace it right away. 
But man, rookie quarterbacks, it's it's always been the same evaluation. What can they show you from a flash standpoint? What are the traits they exhibit and do they flash those traits in spades? And for me, I, I mean, a broken record, man. I've said this all along since his college days, since his freshman year back at Alabama. If you see Tua's strengths, you know, or if you see Tua play, you know his strengths have been timing, anticipation, accuracy. He's got that good quick twitch in the pocket. We've seen him break away from pressure this season with the Dolphins and attack the line of scrimmage and throw the football downfield. We talked about Tony Romo's evaluation of Tua on the Chiefs game when he was there in Miami to call that game. We talked about Dan Orlovsky breaking down Tua's game with his ability to manage the pocket and make quick decisions and throw the football before receivers are out of their breaks as they are still working up the stem on the original part of that route, he throws the football with that timing anticipation, throws against the leverage of the defense. And I think we saw that in college with what made him a high-level producing quarterback, what made him a top-five pick in the NFL draft. And to me, he's shown plenty of those flashes in a rookie season where there was no off-season program outside of virtual learning, where he was still in the midst of coming off that hip injury, which occurred just over a year ago. So no full off-season workouts or on-field production or in-classroom training outside of virtual learning and he's showing you those same flashes less than a year after that injury and to me that's everything you want to see from a young quarterback developing at the age of 22 still here in his first season so with Tua very excited about his future very excited about his present heading into this week 17 game a win and end game up in Buffalo we've been here before hopefully we get the results we want we got him back in 2016 did not get them previously in prior years have another chance here in 2020 to make that happen on Sunday with a victory. And with that, let's go ahead and hear from Tua Tungavailoa, who met with the media on Wednesday. And Tua was asked about his high school and college experience and all the big game he's played, all the big wins he's registered both in high school and in college, and how that might prepare him for a rookie season and the, and the trials and tribulations of a rookie season heading into a big game in Week 17. Here's Tua talking about the learning experience of every day in the world of football. I would say my freshman year, you know, I, I played junior varsity um, because in our league, you couldn't play, you know, varsity right away. Um, but just it, it's it's all about, you know, what you can gain from everything. And for me, it's it's learning experience, you know. And like I said, you know, in all of the previous um, interviews that I've had, it's it's not like a one and done thing. You know, it's just it's continuous, especially doing you know, you know, your rookie year too. And continuing on talking about Sunday's game in Buffalo. I'd say for me, there's, there's really, you know, no extra added pressure for me. Um, I would say the expectation for myself is very high in, you know, how I perform and how I go out there and try to lead the guys to victory. Obviously you know, this past weekend, you know, I, I didn't play to that standard and, um, you know, it, it's 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 more so like me knowing that, you know, we, we got to go out there and, you know, got to get the job done. And if you can't get the job done, then, you know, that's that's on you. That's on no one else. Up next, Tua discussed the quarterback decisions of Brian Flores and how they've managed that position, that quarterback room throughout the course of the season. You know, with, with that whole, with well, like with our whole quarterback situation, I think Flo does a good job in in communicating with, you know, me fits, um, as well as our coordinator and our quarterbacks coach, you know, and kind of seeing like, Hey, are you in a groove or, you know, what can we do better? And if not, you know, it's, it's all, it's always communicated. There's really good communication between all of us. And, you know, I, I, 
I trust that he has, you know, the interest, not just for us, but um, just in, in the whole team. He has the best interest for the whole team. That's ours. Let's get to a couple questions here for Dolphins center Ted Karras, who was asked about playing up in Buffalo and also if he was aware of the Dolphins' playoff scenarios and how he's approaching Week 17. Well, I think, you know, the fans are two-sided with that. You know, they have great fans up there, and the, the drive-in's always pretty entertaining with, you know, what they got going on in the parking lot. But, you know, it is it is nice with no fans up there because they do make a very it, – it's a loud stadium. Um, is it still called New Era? Or this year? I don't think it is. But great stadium, um, going to be a big matchup, division opponent, Week 17 with a lot of implications. We're excited ready to roll. Um, I'm aware that if we don't win, we'll need some help. But, you know, the main thing that I'm, you know, focusing on is going up there and, and, and kind of kicking the door in on playoffs ourselves. So, you know, we're going up there in a huge game, a play-in game, really. And, uh, you know, we're going to need our player best Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. And we mentioned earlier in the preview piece that the Bills will bring linebackers on the pass rush and they will get home. Wanted to go ahead and ask Ted Karras about how you get a pass rush block that brings so many linebackers on that pass rush on the blitz. Yeah, they got great linebackers, Edmonds, Milano, Klein. Um, you know, they bring they, they bring those guys a lot. They're good pass rushers, um, you know, accomplished pass rushers, more so than a lot of linebacking cores. And, you know, we're going to have to set these guys, um, you know, with good technique and fundamentals and, and get our hands on them and, uh, you know, finish blocks. Let's go ahead and finish up our Wednesday media availability with Dolphins linebacker Jerome Baker, who was asked about the challenges the Buffalo Bills offense presents and what he might have learned about them, both from a personal standpoint and a team standpoint in the game back in week two in Miami. As me personally, uh, for me, it was just, you know, my eyes. They, they throw a lot of different um, eye candy. My eyes are right. Everything goes to fall the line. As a team, uh, we're a completely different team, honestly. Uh, you know, we played them uh, week two, right? Week two. It, we're just a completely different team and, Awesome. We just have to play together as a team, and that's all do things. Let's go ahead and finish up with Bake here with a question about his production as a pass rusher going up this year compared to his first two years in the NFL. Here's what he attributes his pass rush success to this season, 2020, here in Miami. I say it's more credit to our D line. Um, you know, just having Agra, having Shaq, having having Kyle. Uh, the offense have to, you know, gear towards blocking them first. And it just helped me with more opportunities. And uh, But I say it's definitely D-line. You know, those guys, they take up sometimes two, three guys. And for me, it's usually one-on-one -on -one battle where it's, sometimes I'm just free. So I, I definitely give it all credit to the D-line. And so there he goes, Jerome Baker, Dolphins linebacker, finishing up this busy, busy Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. As for my time today, that's going to be my time. We're going to come back tomorrow for a New Year's Eve edition, a feature edition with Savon Ahmed, Miles Gaskin, and their running backs coach at the University of Washington, Coach Keith Bonifa. Go ahead and check out that podcast, the rest of the week's podcast. We'll be back with you guys on Thursday and Friday as well for the flashback, and of course Sunday night for the recap edition of Week 17. Keep it locked here. In the meantime, go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, follow me on Twitter at NFL. follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast as well as MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.